I think being an artist is about taking risks. And if you're willing to push the boundaries in whatever way you can, whether it be you know about the commodification of your work or materiality of your work, whatever it is, the ideas, I think that that's what makes it exciting and interesting, right? Welcome. I'm Doug Casina. I'm an artist, a gallerist, a curator, and a collector. And this is Artbound, where we deconstruct the myths and misconceptions of the art world. We have the conversations here with artists that aren't going to be found anywhere else. Well, thank you guys for joining us. In this episode, we're going to go after one of the really big questions. And I'm not sure that we're even going to scratch the surface on this one. And I'm hoping we go in like a million different directions. We're going to be talking about what exactly art is. Primarily more about object and what is art as the object. Um, I have two amazing guests that are going to be joining me today. First, I have Suchitra Matai, who is joining us from her studio in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Suchitra. Hi, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. And then I also have from Richmond, Virginia, uh, joining us from his studio there is Taylor White. Hi, Taylor. Hey, Doug. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm super stoked to be on your podcast. Well, thanks for joining us. Like I said, this is going to be a really kind of deep dive question, and hopefully we kind of skip off the surface of it a little bit. But before we get going into it, I want to like give people a little background about why I think you guys are both so amazing uh, to dive into this topic. So first off, Taylor's art practice is you know, there's a really big sense of humor with his work. And both of these artists really have like a fearless approach to media. Taylor, amongst his many accolades, um, you know, he has galleries in Asia, in Australia, in Europe, in New York. He's kind of like, if you look at his CV, uh, he's, I think he's shown everywhere last year. And upcoming, he has uh, uh, an exhibition uh, in Shanghai and Chicago with art fairs that are uh, opening probably this weekend. He uses construction materials and paint and post-it notes and found objects and a little bit of everything, kind of. If you can put it on a surface, I think he's probably used it. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Suchitra Matai is also incredibly fearless with her approach to media. Uh, she uses a lot of fiber-based media, found object, video, in, in really kind of an installation-based way. Recently, she's uh, shown with the Sarja Biannual in the United Arab Emirates, where she converted an enormous courtyard into one large installation piece. We just placed a, a big 15 by 40 foot piece in the permanent collection of Crystal Bridges for her, um, which uh, she was just part of the Art of the State show there and uh, really is doing some interesting exhibitions uh, inside and outside of the museum system. Uh, I think I alluded a little bit to 
Taylor's sense of humor, which, you know, kind of weaves its way into most of his art practice. I think everybody needs to go to Taylor's Instagram and check out this video of him in tidy whities uh, and a lawnmower. <laughs> um, I, I think it's absolutely hilarious and it really kind of drives home the point of, you know, that art can exist in so many different ways and there's so many different entry points in which we engage with art. And I think humor is such a a relevant way uh, as far as how do we lead the conversation into something a little more serious. So Taylor, uh, what is kind of the strangest material that you've ever used in your art practice? I don't know. Um, I would, I don't know, um, probably the lawnmower itself, like a whole lawnmower instead of like some textile material or something. But yeah, I would say that, yeah, the object, the actual functioning lawnmower as a as a as a component of a work you know it's like you have the performer you have the stage that you built that i built and all that and the fake grass that i painted on it and stuff and then like you know here's a real lawnmower and uh and so yeah that was uh that's probably the more the most interesting piece of material that i've used in a, in a painting the other things i use are 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 not necessarily like new to art materials you know they're like canvas and plywood and cardboard and all these types of like kind of different different textile materials and things like that well right now i'm doing some stuff with lottery tickets i've got hundreds of losing lottery tickets and uh and i'm making a, a giant painting out of sewn together lottery tickets but uh i'll send you a couple yeah yeah i've got a bunch i learned about them when i was researching them and i was like why are these so expensive on ebay like aren't these garbage and uh people that gamble can write off lottery ticket losses so there's a market for these so anyway i started buying like losing lottery tickets as art material you know then we're we're already starting to get into that realm of you know there's artists who've used you know like uh currency in their artwork and yeah, yeah. you know there's some le legal ramifications to that apparently not that i think that anybody's ever gonna like come up to an artist and be like you can't glue that money onto your you know, onto your yeah. surface there. You're taking that out of circulation and reducing whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Well, and Suchitra, you know, a lot of your practice comes from going to thrift stores, I feel like, and finding objects to engage with with that that you later then kind of elevate to this art with a capital A in your recontextualization of the object. What is one of the most interesting uh, things that you've found that you – really weren't expecting and that ended up in one of your pieces i would probably say the merry-go-round using oh, a whole yeah. merry-go-round and then activating it to um to actually circulate i think that was that was probably the most interesting object i do use a lot of uh found furniture dressers and chairs and and other objects that I then change the meaning for but I think the merry-go-round is probably the the largest heaviest and most bizarre object I've used so uh super cool, just to kind of describe it to our listeners this was in an installation piece in Sarja in the desert in a courtyard where she had vintage woven saris as this canopy that stretched from the kind of rooftops into this courtyard enveloping parts of it and had this curved video screen with border imagery projected onto it and then a full moving 
merry-go-round in front of it, just kind of automated and moving the whole time. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty crazy, good. man. So was, lawnmowers was, was... and merry-go-rounds. This is a good start yeah. to like, how do we talk about <laughs> art? You know, like, yeah. how do we talk about the object? And, and first of all, I can't believe that we're still kind of having this conversation. So, you know, we look at kind of the Duchamp urinal, you know, from a hundred years ago. And what a shock that was, you know, that a found object can be recontextualized into artwork, you know, but then let's go back 3000 years ago and look at, you know, like the woman of Villendorf or, or like stacked rocks or, you know, kind of all of these things that have been practiced. I feel like the very first iteration of art in its purest form was probably a found object, you know, and looking at that object and recontextualizing it in some way and saying, okay, how do I look at the world through this? Here we are a hundred years post Duchamp and we're still kind of wrapping our heads around it because I think so many people really are so enamored with this idea of painting of you know kind of this hierarchy of materials sometimes and you know like the general population has really kind of bought into that idea of it so how do we start talking about what art is uh through this idea of object where are you guys landing on this does this like i i don't know if there was a question in there <laughs> um, but <laughs> Like, what does object mean to the art practice and where does it kind of fall into your individual practice? I would say that the, the context that the thing that you're using, the object, is sometimes what kind of turns that thing into into art, at least in my estimation. You know, like I can go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger and just set it on a table and in the right in the in the right environment and like, look at this, you know, it's art. Like that's, that's what I, that's what made me really want to be an artist is when I, I came to art like, like late in life. Didn't, I wasn't even interested in, in art until I was 35. I was in college. I was uh, fascinated with the, like how subjective everything was. And, and there weren't, there was no structure. Even the entire industry that supports it is completely like hilariously unre unregulated. And I was like, man, this is like a free for all. Like, I can just set this, you know, I can set this like box cutter on the table and be like, look at this, you know, check this out. <laughs> Banana with I love duct it. tape and yeah, three editions. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that's like this, the hit of whatever, what, whatever, what show was that? Um, Art Basel? Cat Maurizio Catalan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's less about the thing that you're using about, you know, what, what things are allowed to be art and more about the context that it's placed in, in my opinion. So it's, and I, I totally agree about that. And I, I feel like it really is this idea of it being named as art. Yeah, yeah. Because right. as, like, as soon as somebody kind of tells you, okay, why is this art? As soon as they're questioning that, then it's like they've already proven that it is art because they're having a conversation within the context of what art is to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, I think that's so hard for people to kind of wrap their head around because 
I think there's this implied understanding that a piece of art is this object itself. It's not the concept. It's not the conversation. It's not the idea that it only exists within the object. And really, who was it? I, I heard this phrase the other day that it was talking about stop looking at art as an object and start looking at it as a trigger for an experience. And I kind of loved that idea around, okay, so what is art then? Is it that object or is it the experience that you were just triggered into? Sure. I completely agree with you. I think that, of course, objects have context, like you said, Taylor. I think people are, viewers are trapped in the history of art sometimes. And, you know, the history of painting, the history of sculpture. The thing for me about objects is that they're performative in a certain way. There is an original context. When I use them, I want to transform the context. I want to broaden the scope of what they mean. So I think they can both be, like you said, Taylor, um, it's the object in, in itself that has a context and a, you know becomes the art. Mm-hmm. Or you can take the object, collaborate with the original maker, collaborate with the object, and then it becomes something totally different. And that's the magic for me. You know, if art is all communication then the object becomes a player within the scope of the work for me. I think that's a really elegant way of putting it. And, you know, this is something that's been in the back of my mind since we really kind of were looking at this topic is why is it, though, that somehow or another there becomes this definition between Uh, certain mediums or certain materials as whether or not they're art, be it a found object. You know, there's these classifications that we get into that's craft versus art making, you know, and what is that, you know, like, is it uh, an easy definition? Like, what is the intent of the object? Is it meant to be used outside of the kind of realm of art? Or is it purely meant for that engagement of art? And, And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Part of me secretly hates when everything is called an artistic or that like you're a sandwich artist, you know, no, you're not an artist. You're making a sandwich. Yes, you did it well. Right. That doesn't mean it's artwork. You know, I'm sorry, Subway. Um, and I just That's totally so alienated a whole like group of listeners. Don't talk about Subway, man. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a bad move. I, that, that's the end of my career right there. <laughs> Where do we start talking about medium in that? Um, where do you guys see that? How do we deconstruct this idea of, you know, the, what is a painting? Because I look at both of your guys' work as paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suchitra and I were speaking about this pre-show, that there's this almost idea of time that is put into the piece. And that's what makes it considered art. Like you have to have this, the Michelangelo doing the Sistine Chapel that like took half of his life and all this man hours and was this, you know, this struggle versus finding an object that's already made that already has that communication for you. It wasn't something that you created. And so I guess with that, it's how do you know personally when you're making art? I would say one of the, for me, like to back up to a second where you were talking about kind of the categorizations uh, of the different mediums and stuff and like sculpture and painting and photography and all those things. And I think that that type of categorization is extremely limiting to an artist to even think inside of that box. If you're like thinking 
like labeling, calling yourself a painter while making paintings kind of restricts you to making paintings, you know, because you're thinking in the language of painting and you're making like painterly decisions and you're using paint to make paintings. There's a lot of available things that can happen in, in your work when you start to not really care what category it's, what box it's supposed to fit in. To just let go of that. And for me, that, that was helpful is to like let go of trying to call myself a painter or a sculptor or even the or even to use even art words in my head, like the word, even the word object, you know, because it's such a like, what is art? What is object? You know, and like, like you're allowed to just call it a thing. I had this great teacher and was like, stop using all that language. Just it's a thing. Put the thing over there. <laughs> Put it on the floor. Put it on the wall. Do you like the thing? She's just great. She's this great sculpture professor uh, named uh, Carol Garman that I had, and she was like hugely influential on my painting, and that's probably why my paintings are really super physical because she was a big influence on me. She was constantly uh, telling me to pay attention to like the thingness of a thing, and that really, and then walk away and not really tell you what she means. Like think about the thingness of a thing, and then like just disappear <laughs> like this like Jedi. Yeah, that had a big influence on me is to like kind of remove this type of uh, lexicon, like these boxes that you're supposed to put things in, or at least maybe, maybe make an attempt to. It was helpful. I feel like this professor of yours is my new spirit animal. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's such a freeing way of looking at practice. And I think you made a really interesting point there, like about boxing yourself in as like a painter or a sculptor or yeah. kind of creating these definitions. Because I see this all the time when I, somebody who, you know, their normal practice is painting and then they try to make an object, they try to make a sculptor and they, they look at it from a very different point and it, it doesn't work. You know, it's like they're intentionally thinking about this as some separate thing from their mm -hmm. normal art practice, that it needs to be this different thing. And that I've never seen in Suchitra's work. Suchitra, like, has this fearless transition between all of her art making practice, whether it's on the wall, whether it's on the floor, whether it's video, whether it's, you know, more traditional kind of painting or technique. And that's one thing that I just so admire. It has this, it has this line of aesthetic and other stuff in it. But there's not, I don't think, a clear definition of if it's a painting versus a sculpture or uh, does that resonate at all, Suchitra? Oh, totally. I was thinking about this idea of thing uh, that you mentioned, Taylor. I recently was putting words describing a recent work of mine and I didn't know what the thing, what this object was. So I said brush thing. And yeah. it's the exact, it's the exact, the idea is that you know, for a long time, I considered myself a painter. And this is post grad school in grad school, and then post. And I, I didn't feel for a long time that I was really in the work, feeling the work, being intuitive in the way that I wanted to be. I think that while I was in that space of, you know, being a painter, I didn't really challenge myself in the same way that I do now. So about five years ago, I just eliminated that definition started to work with whatever I wanted to work with, combining and reconciling all kinds of different materials. And it feels so free. Mm -hmm. And I think my work is like a hundred times better than it used to be because I'm allowing myself that freedom. And I feel as though I don't have hierarchies, right? Between found objects, made objects. I'm really excited about the interaction of all those things. And 
it's not even a question anymore. But I feel like, you know, back to your point, Doug, about how how the audience, how the viewer accepts that work is a totally other story, right? Because sure, if you're in the art world with a capital A, people are, you know, open to everything. When, you know, when you're not as trained or you don't, you aren't around art with a contemporary, or contemporary art with um, capital C or whatever, <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's a lot harder because like you said, there's that sense of time, that sense of, well, you're trained in this thing and then you spend a year on this thing and it becomes this amazing thing. Well, I, I honestly feel that the magic and the history of the objects that you combine and use sometimes surpass anything that I could do anyway with one medium. So it's like the combination of mediums become the alchemy, if you will, becomes the sort of exciting yeah. moment. And I it think, feels, oh, go ahead, Taylor. Oh, one thing, I, one thing I wanted to say about the idea of the, how important it is to pay attention to the, to the words you're using, even that you're not speaking, that you're, that you're just saying in your mind. Sometimes I think maybe it's interesting to look under the hood of of some of an artist that has like a lot of like uh, very academic titles to things and like before something was really actually titled to go and like look at what they when they were saving it on Photoshop and it was you know whatever dot JPEG whatever <laughs> they name that when they're like in the studio before it's like formalized and like art you know sometimes it's blue stuff with cloud shape. Dot JPEG, you know, and then later on that gets cleaned up into something that's like, you know, some 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 lofty sounding thing. I think a lot of artists actually think like that, but they try to camouflage that. They try to put this blanket over that. That's like, uh, now look how intellectual this is, and maybe some of that's fun to do to like intentionally camouflage all of that. But uh, anyway, that was just a, a, was a, a fleeting thought that I had about language. I, I was going to respond to that in two parts. <laughs> because, um, on one level, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, there is a sort of, to me, the idea of being academic is trying to squish your work into one particular narrative. That's what to me being academic is. The titles, I would disagree because for me, they're just fun. They just become yeah. another form of poetry or something, you know, something magical. And sometimes for me, they don't necessarily even relate to the work. It's just fun. It's just fun for me to put words together the way I put We think very much together. alike in that regard. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting kind of hearing how um, when you guys are starting to talk about the objects and what they mean in your work, it's also kind of acknowledging that there is this hierarchy that you've been taught in some way. Like you both kind of alluded that you've heard it in this other way. You've heard that, you know, the, the kind of the same idea that, um, you know, people look at painting maybe differently than they would a hamburger. Right. Sure. And so have you had any kind of personal challenges, you know, institutionally or with somebody kind of approaching your work um, where you've had to like specifically kind of name why you're using this medium or why you're using this materials? Well, for me, um, I've had people ask me, well, you know, because I use found fiber, found needlepoints, things like that sometimes, you know, why didn't you make the needlepoint, you know? Um, and so I always have this, you know, kind of response that, my work is about conversations, right? It's about dialogue and collaborations. Me using something that's found 
is just part of that conversation. I think this harkens back actually, Doug, to your idea or what we were talking about regarding time, you know, and and I think there is this idea that every it's a more traditional sense of that the, the artist has control over every um, part of the artistic practice. But to me, when you allow in all these surprises and all of these sort of uncontrollable moments because you're using things that somebody else made or something was, you know, somebody else crafted that that's more exciting for me. But um, I think for the viewer, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to take. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, concerned with like the amount of effort that needs to be applied to like, you know, the color red in your painting. Oh, did you make that? You know, like, okay. And like, I run into this, I run into stuff like uh, questions that people have about uh, like in about the last year, year and a half, I've been using a lot of cardboard in paintings or paintings that are entirely cardboard. And in, in most cases, you know, in most of my work, I actually do pay attention to like making sure things are, uh, extremely structurally sound and archival and all this kind of stuff. And I really care about that, uh, that something lasts. And, but at the same time, I, I, I don't think that uh, when somebody is uh, questioning the use of, of cardboard or something that has like acid in it or lignin or however you say it, that that should be some kind of barrier to stop you from like uh, exploring that material uh, and to its fullest extent, you know, um, regardless if it only lasts, you know, a hundred years or, or whatever. This might sound dumb, but I took this um, class, this astronomy class one time in college, and it was uh, I had to take it so that I um, it counted as math, and but you didn't have to do any math, and it, it counted as like your math credit. In that class, it was like this conversation about scale. Uh, constantly about the size, your size, like in the in the in the universe, and all this kind of stuff, and, and like the scale of time that we're dealing with, uh, as and where we are in like the age of the sun, and like all this stuff, <laughs> like this grandiose idea, right? And uh, it really started to loosen my thinking up about materials, and I was like, wait, so the sun's gonna like explode one day, and like explode the <laughs> earth and everything around it? It's just gonna be like toast, like all of it's gonna go away, and so. I was like, nothing's archival. Like the granite isn't archival or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I stopped, I stopped caring about it. And I was, I decided to just completely uh, see how material behaves rather than be concerned with whether it's going to last 250 years. Like I'm so important. <laughs> you know, there's going to be somebody well, cooler than me way after I'm gone. You, you know, and as a dealer, you know, we get those questions all the time about archivability yeah. and, you know, there's, and, and that's really a question as far as, you, you know, and it's really typically not people who I think are like, really planning on donating it to a museum or, you know, or like, I, I don't know why they really kind of bring that up to be honest. Right. Um, because it, it's maybe something that again, we've been kind of programmed to look at in certain ways. I know there was a, a, a book that I read, you know, kind of back in college that I found at a thrift store that was, you know, is your contemporary art more temporary than you think? And it certainly talks about archivability and, you know, types of materials and how to, how to, how to approach that. But I, 
agree that um, I think there's a much bigger conversation around materiality that's, you know, who cares about how long it's going to last at some point too. And is that the point of art to last forever? Or is it more of this moment stuff like Buddhist mandalas or any kind of earthworks or any mm-hmm. kind of other things that are meant to be contemplative but momentary. When we come back from a short little break here, I think we're going to continue to go a little bit deeper with, you know, maybe not end of time sun explosion deeper, <laughs> but maybe, you know, like a <laughs> art podcast version of such. One question that's been kind of circulating throughout my mind uh, during our conversation is um, I really need to know what the name of your guys's last pieces were. Uh, the last piece I made was just a couple days ago and it's a big uh, obtusely shaped painting. looks like this. They can't see you, thing? Taylor. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is radio, Taylor. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's this pizza shaped painting. Uh, like a stretcher that I built that's shaped like this like terrible shape but structurally sound and it's titled fake pizza that's the title tentatively it's just fake pizza and it's um cardboard or sorry it's a charcoal on um, canvas that's it it's just a drawing yeah. So Taylor's going to mock my title. <laughs> I'm feeling it right now. No. Um, but it's it was, I've never seen a shooting star, but I've felt the love of a thousand years. And the work was made of, it had fiber, fabric, I mean, different kinds of fabric, uh, embroidery thread, acrylic paint, uh, a brush thing. <laughs> That's the brush thing was from that work. And yeah, pretty much that's, that was that work. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun of your title. <laughs> it's a good title. The, the reason why I think I wanted to ask, you know, to kind of get an idea of what you guys are, are working on in the studio is because I think it's really important that we're looking at this idea of expanding what constitutes you know, kind of art. And I think it's really interesting that we're talking about fake pizza and then kind of an esoteric idea around materials as well. Why is it important that we are still having this conversation and expanding even upon it? How does that kind of shape uh, what your guys' thoughts are around the importance of art? Is art important? I don't know. Why, yes, (laughs) art is important. I think there's this idea of, there's a great irony, actually, because if you use all kinds of weird objects, the general audience is suspicious in a certain way, right? But if you open art to be inclusive of all objects, then a lot more people can make it, right? I think that widening the scope of what the possibilities are via materials makes it more accessible in some ways. And I think that's important, you know, or an important aspect of it, uh, of making with all these different mediums and strange findings, so. So for me, like in the question about like the importance of art or or, or something as broad as that, like for, for me, art, making art, coming to art, it changed the entire course of my life. And at 35 years old, it like radically changed my thinking changed my 
my politics. It changed everything about uh, me. So before I made before I made art, uh, I was in the military for as in the Marines for about a decade. I was in the wars and and all that stuff. And I got out of the military and I was very I felt kind of lost. Like I didn't know um, what to do with my life after that. And I worked in the business world for a bit and it, and that was fun for a while, but it just didn't feel like what I was doing was was authentic or something missing. And I had um, the GI Bill, which paid for my college, and they don't care like what you go to college for. And so I eventually started taking art classes in college. The second I walked into the building, I was like, this is like heaven. Like there's something about this place, the way it smells, the way all the, the kids look. They're, it's like a totally different, weird subculture in and there that I had discovered. And I was like, man, you can like, this is, this is college still like you get a degree <laughs> for this. And it was so much fun, but it really to be, I guess, good at it or successful at making art uh, in the estimation of uh, other people, you have to be really honest with yourself and with other people. You have to be really, really authentic. I think it's very important. And I, I guess just the, through the process of, of making art, it it kind of stripped away this thing that had been built on top of me, you know, like with militarism and all this stuff, right? That I, I needed for survival and like all that kind of stuff kind of fell away from me and it cut, it cut me down to like the core of who I was before I was like an 18 year old kid, you know, like where you're just kind of playing with stuff and having fun like a child, like with materials. And uh, it brought me back to that. Taught me like, you know, like uh, this is who you really are. And for me, that's, that's its importance to me. I love that you're speaking in these terms of art as like a truth. Sure. One thing that we've maybe separated in some idea is the idea of the object versus that truth. So why is it so difficult for people to accept this kind of concept that, you know, an artist is really this master of ideas uh, versus of a medium. You know, I think that kind of comes into this idea of what we were talking about with, uh, you know, how much time you're working on a particular thing, if something's ready made, or if it's something that you're, you know, laboriously working on. How do we kind of shift the subject of our conversation around art from the uh, the produced materials to kind of the ideas within that? Um, when did it become so much about mastery of technique versus, you know, mastery of concept? I think that's something I think about a lot because so much of my work, you know, can be you know, quickly hewn or, th you know, and so much of it is about idea. It's so much about the conceptual framework and also the kind of magic of putting these things together. Um, and a lot of it is uncontrolled. And I think that when one works with a lot of mediums and all these objects, you trust, you have to trust a lot to intuition. And intuition is a hard thing for people to take, even in the art community, you know, in the art world, let's say the larger art world, there's a sense of, you know, a close knit relationship between a narrative that you created for yourself or a framework and the, and the objects and the artwork that you make. And when you start trusting intuition, there's endless possibilities, but you, I think it's harder for people 
to trust that. It's a harder thing for people to trust, even if you as the artist um, trusts it. And I think that's part of the, I guess, suspicion of these really, you know, radically different objects or using them. That's just that suspicion, though. I think instead of trying to like get rid of it, though, that sometimes that suspicion that people have about the things that aren't because you, you know they have you have like the weight of like the Mona Lisa and like the sculpture of David, like all like weighing down on top of people, like that's what art is, right? But the suspicion of things that like deviate outside of those traditional forms or objects or whatever is kind of maybe what gives it its strength. Like I want people to be suspicious of it. I want people to have a problem with it. That, that makes it fun. You know, if everything was so accepted, it, it, it wouldn't be fun anymore. It wouldn't feel like one of the f- most fun things about making art. And especially if you can figure out some way to, even if, if you can make like a dollar from it, like, you know, one of the fun things about that is that sometimes it feels like, or actually no, almost all of the time, it feels like I like robbed a bank and like nobody knew that I, like, I was like nobody <laughs> knows that I robbed this bank. I got wow you know it's like this magic trick and it's so much fun even if i'm even if like you just drew a drawing and it's like six bucks to somebody in a park and you'd spend like you know 30 seconds doing it it's like super fun that's a fun thing and often that's also criticized too like for you to even be thinking about money is like oh no you know that's dangerous and Anyway, so yeah, I think the suspicion is something I, I wouldn't want to get rid of. It's kind of like it's kind of like the aorta of like really good uh, ideas, and uh, it starts to get into the theater of it, right? Like yeah. we don't necessarily want everybody to know how the sausage is made, you know, when within the art world. There's kind of like part of us wants to keep that magic right to ourselves like we know how to do this there is a secret around it and maybe you should be a little suspicious of it so then does it become important for us to educate people and help them kind of expand what their concept is of of art or is it good that they have this sort of limited concept that then we can play with it around the the fringes i agree with taylor the suspicion that i was talking about is healthy I think all of this is ultimately about taking risks. Being an artist is about taking risks. And if you're willing to push the boundaries in whatever way you can, whether it be, you know, about the commodification of your work or materiality of your work, whatever it is, the ideas, I think that that's what makes it exciting and interesting, right? And so, you know, sometimes when you make work with you know, not, let's say non-traditional materials, I think there is that idea. You know, I was thinking a lot about what you said in the first half, Taylor, about the work lasting through time. You know, for me, it's, if you're using an object that's already been around for 40 years and you take it into your fold and you make it communicate something, that object's going to last longer than you, many of those objects. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be shifted and taken or, or trashed or whatever. Uh, it's not about preserving something over time it's about it's about kind of creating the a magic in a moment in a moment that you can and holding it dear and i think that's you know that's something that i think about anyway yeah it's a record of like your your interaction with stuff and like i was here yeah you know carved my name into this tree so <laughs> Or in some ways, it's impermanent, right? Like yeah. the, the mandala that you were talking about, Doug. Like, I think 
yeah, it's that sense of not being attached. So I feel like this is exactly why contemporary artwork is so important is because it's a catalyst for bigger discussions. You know, that object becomes this catalyst for us to have a conversation about anything in the world that uh, might be really difficult for us to bring up in another way. Um, What have you seen in your work that feels important to kind of that contemporary discussion? Like, why why is contemporary art important? I think for me, like, I use the process or like the the action of like, you know, making art. I use it as a way sometimes to like understand how it is that I think. And so like by making a thing, you you understand yourself more. Like, why did I, why do I like this? And it's kind of like carving into some, for me, it's like carving into something to, to figure out why you, why you think something is funny. Like it's a way of analyzing the structure in your mind that is like, okay, well, what makes that really funny to you? You know, the, for me, the, you know, the Suchitra, I think we're the, the question I'm trying to get at is when we're kind of redefining what art looks like to ourselves and because we're trying to figure out how other people are engaging with it, is that really an important way of even thinking about art? Is that, should that be part of our consideration when we're approaching art? Like how other view, how the viewer will actually understand or take what they will take away from the art? Yeah, that or what the importance is of our own, you know, kind of creation of that art. Like, is it, are we creating a, a conversation just by making it or do we consciously have to be engaging with that conversation in order for it to be, to come to life? I know that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, when I said intuition, you know, one thought, one vision leads to another, you know, thought or vision. And the combination of all those visions becomes the ultimate thing, right? The thing that's finished or complete or the art. It's a hard question. I don't think anymore about that question. I just learn about both myself and the world and process everything through art, through making, right? And so, you know, someone asked me once if I ever have a block, like, do I have blocks, art blocks? And I don't because, you know, making the art helps me to work through personal things as well, right? You know, for a long time, I couldn't make any art. You know, I was ill. I couldn't make anything and most of my life. So for the last five years, I've basically been working through every single idea that I've ever had in my entire life and trying to get it all out, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, before I can't do it again. So yes, art is important as a cultural tool, marker, means of communication, you know, on some level, but it's also important for people who are visual, for people um, who think visually, for us personally to work through our ideas where, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to communicate via writing. I'm going to communicate via, via art. And I don't know, it's important for the artist and the viewer and society. I guess. Sometimes it can be like from the viewer's perspective that art, the utility for them can just be to 
for them to be confronted with a question like, why don't I like this? Or why do I like this? Like this, I shouldn't like this, but I do. And, and those, those types of questions are, are not really asked of people very often in, in everyday life, you know? And so art is something that can, can pose these like really obtuse way, you know, or questions on, on to people and, uh, and cause them to ask themselves questions, you know, like, why do I have a problem with this banana taped to a wall? Is it because it's too easy? Is does it make me mad that it's really expensive? Is that my problem with it? And then that then you can dig down a few layers deeper into that, you know, and find out what what what's really making you upset about this. So <laughs> it, it's like a stick of dynamite sometimes that can that can explode something inside of someone. That's its utility, at least uh, for me. Sometimes the artists arrive at those positions too, like something that's so completely. Um, absurd like in its final form the thing that you see in a, in a show or something sometimes they arrive at them in the most obtuse manner possible and it's like they and it all makes sense at it all it's all it's like genius but and in, in reality a lot of times is it's like the uh i heard it the other day i love this phrase it was uh, a lot of times it's somebody firing an arrow and then painting a bullseye around it after the fact and and i was like and I heard that I was like, that's pretty much how I work. And or, or I think a lot of artists actually work like that. You know, they just kind of don't know what they're doing. Then all of a sudden this key turns and it's like, oh, wait, this makes sense. And, oh, that makes me think about this and this and this and this. And then they kind of they kind of play with like the little levels and stuff on it, you know, like like on a like a mixer board. Uh, OK, now now this makes sense. And it's, they're going to read it like that. if I want them to. Or like with me, sometimes I want to obliterate all of the obvious references to anything, like where there's not a lot of inroads to to what you see, there are obvious cues to how I want you to think about it. Also, emotion, right? I mean, there's there's so many other ways for intellectualizing material, for thinking about material, but art allows us to emote. And I think that's what you were getting at, Taylor, with like exploding, you know, mm-hmm. something inside someone. Um, there aren't a lot of means in our current day society where we get to do that. And I think that is the function of art. There's so many other ways you can communicate, but art allows that kind of core gut emotive thing to happen. Right. You guys just like defined that so beautifully if we you know we started out with this amazingly immense esoteric question that i feel like we actually kind of zeroed in on an answer you know like it's this invitation to question it's an invitation to have uh, some kind of deeper understanding of yourself or of what emotions might come up it's a it's this invitation is what art is Taylor White, thank you so much for joining us. Suchitra, it's always an honor to speak with you. Uh, I really like what you guys had to say about this. So thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Thank you so much, Doug. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Artbound podcast. For more information about the guests and what we've discussed, go to artistnetwork.com slash artbound. You can also find ways to connect with me and the Artbound team. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. 
Artbound is an artist network podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Doug Cassina. Our producer is Daisha Clay, with audio engineering and editing by Evan Rutherford. Director of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Executive producer for Artist Network is Scott Meyer. Trisha Waddell is the director of content. Sarah Van Patter handles all our marketing. And Vanessa Childers does all things digital. If you'd like more information on sponsoring or advertising on Artbound, go to goldenpeakmedia.com. I'm Doug Casina. Until next time. <laughs>